Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful that you brought the gospel message to us, that you sent your Son for us, that we might be saved. Thank you for that message, which is still a powerful message today, as powerful as it has ever been. Help us, as we look into your word today, to hear more about your gospel and what it should mean for us as we both receive it and share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a sermon series here where we're walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Again, I want to encourage you to read it and reread it during the course of this sermon series. Don't just take my word for it. I want to encourage you to, to study God's word as well. Talk about it at home. Uh, study it in, your, in the quietness of your own home as well. There are two themes that I have picked out from the book of 1 Thessalonians. First is that the gospel will have a very powerful impact in our lives if we allow it to take root. That is, we know that God will do wonderful, powerful things in us as we not only receive the gospel, but as we continue to live according to the truth of who Jesus is. It will be powerful in us. And then the second theme is that the gospel will have a very powerful impact in the lives of people around us if we spread it. Now, I picked 1 Thessalonians for this season at our church for this sermon series because I thought it would be good for us to be reminded both of how good the gospel is for us who know Jesus and how good the gospel is for those around us who need to hear it, who need to come to know Jesus. Here at Cornerstone, our mission statement is that we have a passion to know Christ and that we are commissioned to make him known. And, and I fully include myself in this when I say this, but one of the reasons I picked this book is because I think we need a reminder to think about the people outside of here, to be reminded to go as part of our commission to bring the gospel message to other people. And I think First Thessalonians is a good place to do that as it reminds us of how good the gospel is, not just for us, but for others as well. So in our passage today, we're going to see another great pattern. It's a, it's a continuation of the pattern we saw last Sunday as we looked at the first part of chapter 2. And the pattern continues today as we see both how the gospel was received and how the gospel was, was shared and spread. And hopefully, today is an encouragement for us as we, as we think about the gospel, as we think about the, the beauty of it, the power of it, that we would be encouraged to share this message and encouraged to keep living according to it. So I have two parts of my sermon today, and, and each part of my sermon has two sub-points, and I realize that might get a little confusing, so I'll kind of try to walk you through it. But in the first part, I want to show you two examples of sharing the gospel, and then in my second part, I want to show you two evidences of receiving the gospel. So first, point A, two examples of sharing the gospel. I want to read for you, starting in 1 Thessalonians 2.10 through verse 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So the first example we have of how to share the gospel is holy living. Holy living. Now, it's interesting here, in the passage we looked at last Sunday, the Apostle Paul, along with his co-workers Silas and Timothy, said that as they shared the gospel with the people of Thessalonica, they were like a mother to them. And, you know, in my opinion, this kind of missionary work that, that Paul and his co-workers did, it's like the manliest kind of work you can do as you're you know, going across the sea and uh, dealing with ravenous beasts at, at some time. But yet they could say, we were like a mother among you, gently caring for you. 
But today the, the metaphor shifts a little bit, and Paul says that he and his co-workers were like a father figure to them as well. So both like a mother and a father, they came and they brought the gospel. And in verse 10, they show how as they were among the people of Thessalonica, they set an example among them with their holy, righteous, and blameless living. And I don't think the point here was for them to say, hey, look at us, look at how good we are. We get enough of that in our society today, don't we? I get kind of fr- I'm a big sports fan, but I get frustrated when I see sports figures pumping themselves up after they've done something like the next person who hits a three-pointer is the first person ever to have done that in the history of the world, and they have to tell everybody how good they are. Um, I, I don't think that's what Paul and his co-workers are doing here. I, I think what they're, what they're saying is we came to you wanting to, to share Jesus with you. We wanted his name to become famous. So the way that we did that is we set an example for you with holy, righteous, and blameless living. And it's interesting, they couldn't have said what they said in verse 10 here if it weren't true. They, if they said, you remember how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you, but if they were actually bums, the people of Thessalonica would have been like, what's he talking about? That guy was crazy. We didn't want anything to do with him. But that's not the case here. And, and what we see from the example of Paul, from what we see of how the gospel took root in Thessalonica, was that part of that happened as Paul and his co-workers set an example among the people of how to live. So what about you? What would the people around you say about you? Do do they look at you as someone who is living not for yourself, but for God? Would they see you as someone who sets an example of holy and righteous and blameless living? See, sometimes our actions speak more powerfully than words. Now, don't get me wrong, we're going to talk about the words of the gospel in a few moments, but it's probably very true that, that some people will not listen to our words if our actions don't line up with what we say we believe. So let's, let's remember to set an example like this. If there are people that you love and you want them to come to know Jesus, live your life around them shining a light. Let them see the gospel in you. Let's set a good example with holy living. The second example of sharing the gospel is gentle but firm instruction. And here's where the analogy, again, of a father comes in, like we see in verses 11 and 12. And let me use an illustration here. Uh, I was thinking about the illustration of a father teaching his son how to mow the grass, but that didn't seem very appropriate on a day when it's below zero. So let's talk about a father teaching his son how to use a snowblower, which we haven't really had to use our snowblowers very much here lately either, but uh, I'm actually at the point where I almost kind of want to get out my snowblower and use it. But uh, I want you to think about a father and a son, and, and the father says to the son, son, it's time that you learned how to use the snowblower. And you kind of picture the father putting his arm around the son and saying, son, I think you're old enough, I think you're strong enough, I think you can do this. So come out with me today, and I'll show you how to do it. And maybe he, uh, he points out some things about the snowblower and probably gives some warnings about it. Here are some things you don't want to do because this is a powerful piece of equipment, and I don't want you to get yourself or any of your younger siblings injured as you're doing this. So th- there are maybe some firm words like never do this. 
But then there's also that, that gentle, here, come alongside me and I'll show you. And the, the father gives some tips to his kid. You, you start down the middle and you blow the snow to the sides, and, and that way you can get both sides of the driveway cleared off. And there is this gentle but firm instruction of, of teaching the child how to use the snowblower. So sometimes, whether we're talking about that or whether we're talking about the gospel, sometimes there needs to be gentle, warm encouragement. And at other times, maybe there needs to be some firm words. And I was thinking about that um, back in the day when I was working full-time on college campuses and was discipling college students. And, and they'd come to me and they'd, they'd tell me about their lives and what was going on and sometimes about their sin. And sometimes I would say, well, I thank you for sharing that with me and please know that there's forgiveness and you can go to God and you can repent. But there were other times where I felt it very appropriate to, to be more firm than that and to say there are some things that you must stay away from. And the pattern of your life right now is not a good one. So fathers have to deal with both of those things. Now, uh, kids in this room, and we're all kids, right? We've, we've all had parents. Uh, we can all probably attest that sometimes fathers don't know exactly when to be gentle and when to be firm. I know that I have messed up on that one at times. But, but the encouraging thing to me is, as we share the gospel, that, that God can help us with that. that. That God can show us when to be gentle, when to give those encouraging words, but also he can show us when to be firm and, and when to help people understand that there is a line and there is something that God doesn't want us to cross. That's why at the end of verse 12, Paul talked about urging the people to live lives worthy of God. That's an important thing that, that we would all remember. It's like what Paul said in Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And, and why did Paul talk like this? Why did he use this gentle but firm instruction? I think it's because he loved the people and because he was invested in them. If he didn't care about them, he wouldn't have had to do this. He, he wouldn't have had to, to be firm with them. He wouldn't have had to risk life and limb in order to bring the gospel to them if he didn't care for them. But he did. So he was gentle like a mother, and he was gentle and firm like a father as he brought the gospel to them. And then there's one more point about uh, how, what, what kind of instruction Paul used. We're going to have to flip ahead to verse 13 here to see this one, where Paul talks about how the people of Thessalonica received the word of God from them. You see, Paul, Silas, and Timothy didn't just set an example with their living, with their actions. They also used the words of the gospel. And, and the point here is that People are not saved just by seeing the kind of life that we live. People are saved as they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, as they hear our need to be forgiven, as they hear that Jesus died on the cross for us. So we bring the words of the gospel to people so that they will understand. Maybe our, our actions earn the platform for us to be heard by them, but then we use our words to share with them the message that they need to hear. I love Romans 10.14 on this, which says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And then just a few verses later in verse 17, it says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So we bring the words of the gospel to people. We love them, we set a good example, but we also bring the words, our words and our actions working together in a powerful way. And, and the, the cool part about this 
is that God is at work in this process. We live holy, righteous, and blameless lives among the people. We bring the words of the gospel. And as we speak the words of the gospel, God himself can speak to the people. That's what God, God does. His word, his gospel is so powerful that when we speak it to people, God can speak to their hearts. So let's be people who bring this gospel, this powerful message to people. And, and I'm not trying to suggest that every time we share the gospel with somebody that they will come to Christ. Uh, I know better than that from experience. But I am saying that it's powerful and that God does powerful things in it. Maybe some of you have already been thinking about Isaiah 55. It's a famous passage that talks about the power of God's word as it goes forth. I want to read for you verses 10 through 11. This is God speaking. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Isn't that encouraging to know that as God's word goes forth, it does things in the hearts and the lives of people? So, do you know the gospel? Do you, are you able to share the words of the gospel with people? And let me ask it even in a more specific way. And I uh, am thinking specifically about a, a professor that Josh and I had at seminary, D.A. Carson, who challenged us when we're sharing the gospel to use the words of the Bible. So think of it this way. We might say, uh, have you entered into a personal relationship with Jesus by asking him into your heart? Well, that's fine. I believe, actually, that those are biblical themes. But are you able to say that idea but actually use the words of Scripture as you say it? I, I, I'm often struck by what Jesus said in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So God does a powerful work in our hearts through his word. So when you share the gospel, can you do it by using Bible verses? And I'm not saying you only have to use Bible verses. We can, we can help people understand it. We can use language that they can understand, analogies that they can understand. But it's good for us to put some actual Bible verses in our message when we're sharing with them. So can you do that? As you're talking about knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord, are there places that you could go to help people understand what it means that he's Savior? Are there passages you could go to talk about what it means to know Jesus as the Lord? It's just a, maybe it's a homework assignment for some of you. Think about how you would share the gospel and then think of Bible verses that would show those points that you're trying to get across. And then another application here as we close down this point. What are you doing to share the gospel? So we're, we're looking at both actions and words here in this first part of my message. So is your life, your example... Is it highlighting the gospel? Are you living in such a way that people would look at you and say, huh, I wonder what it is that he has. I wonder what it is that she has. I want to know. Is your life shining as a light like that? And then, are you being bold with the gospel? Again, I, I don't always know how to do this. I don't always know when to be gentle, when to be firm, when to be bold, when to, when to let people come to me when I go to them. Uh, I don't always, always know those sorts of things. But what I do know is that I want to join with God in this process. And, and maybe the most important part of this is that we would constantly be talking to God and praying and asking him to open doors and asking him to give us the boldness to go forth with the gospel message. So, are you in prayer like that? 
as you seek to proclaim the gospel message to other people? And are you willing to use both your actions and your words to share this wonderful message with people? Because when the gospel is shared and embraced, powerful things happen. But that leads to the question, what does it mean to embrace the gospel? And as we move on to the the next part of my sermon, point B, we see two evidences of receiving the gospel. And 1 Thessalonians is a great place for this because the gospel really had a powerful impact there. And it's the kind of impact we wanted to see in our lives. So we can look at this as a pattern of what it looks like for us to receive the gospel. So the first sub-point here under evidences of receiving the gospel is receiving God's word. Receiving God's word. And I want to read verse 13 for you. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So this verse is actually like a a prayer of thanksgiving as Paul thanks God for the way the people of Thessalonica responded to the word, to the message that they brought. And, And the people didn't receive it as if it were just merely some tips from some preacher they received it as the word of God. Now you have to wonder, how did they know it was the word of God? What was it about the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy said it? What was it about the way that they received it? What was it about the way that God was stirring in their hearts that they knew that it was the word of God? And it leads me to another question. How do we know that the word of God is God's word? How do we know that the Bible that we hold today is God's word? If the Bible is the word of God, it's powerful. Think about that. According to the Bible, the the same God who spoke the universe into existence, uh, the same God who was able to to speak to people and they could come out of the grave, that the same God speaks to us and we hold his word in our hands. And if that's true, then it is really powerful. So can we know that the Bible is the word of God? I want to take a little side trip here and answer that question. So the question is, is the Bible the Word of God? And, and there's my answer. The Bible is the Word of God. And I want to show you, um, I've, I've come up with this um, four-step outline of how we can look at the Bible and understand that it is the Word of God. And I want to walk through this with you. And, and just to encourage you, maybe some of you continue to have this. you ever have these nagging questions? That you're like, oh, I... I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I just can't always remember why I believe that. Well, here, I want to walk through this with you and just to encourage you uh, to let you see again what it is that we have in our hands. So the first part of this is Jesus based his life in ministry on Scripture. And, and here's where we could say, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. But think about what Jesus did. Think about all throughout his life and his ministry, what he did with God's word. Think about Jesus when he was tempted. Remember the the temptation where Satan asked Jesus to turn stone into bread? What did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was speaking about God's word as his food, nourishing his soul. There was another time where Jesus was in an argument with some people, and in John 10.35 he said, Scripture cannot be broken, which I love because Jesus didn't say, oh yeah, Scripture, you know, that Old Testament stuff, some of it's kind of weird. Here's the parts that you can just kind of forget. He didn't say that. He said, Scripture cannot be broken. 
So again, I would say Jesus basing his life and his ministry on Scripture, that's good enough for me. Although some people might say, well, who's Jesus? Why should we take his word? Well, here's the second point. The resurrection of Jesus validates him as an authority. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, I believe, sets him apart as authority above any other authority the earth has ever seen as one who would be able to tell us what truth is. The, the fact that he was raised from the dead sets him apart from people like Gandhi or Muhammad or Joseph Smith. They were just people. And, and I don't think that what they said carried the weight of what God said. But with Jesus, that's different and the resurrection proves it. Now think about this. When Jesus was doing his public ministry, there was a point in time where he said, he urged the people to believe in him. And he said, if you don't believe in what I'm saying, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles. Now, we weren't there 2,000 years ago. We didn't see him turn water into wine. We didn't see him raise Lazarus from the dead. But there's something different about the resurrection. So when Jesus said, believe on the evidence of the miracles, I think that we can look back at the resurrection and agree with the Apostle Paul, like he said in Acts 17, that the resurrection is proof, even today. Because when Paul was speaking those words to people, calling the resurrection proof, it was to people that didn't see the resurrection, yet it still stood as proof to them. And Paul even goes on to say in Acts 17 that it's proof for all men. So I believe that the resurrection stands uniquely in our history as, as something that actually has very strong historical verification. You can, you can study the resurrection and, and come up with things. In fact, I, I wrote a chapter on this in my book on how the resurrection shows the power of God that there are, there are ways that we can look at it, even historically speaking, and say, God did something in our world. He sent his son, he was killed, but he was raised from the dead. And again, I'll say with the Apostle Paul that it stands as proof for all men. So, Jesus based his life and ministry on Scripture, and the resurrection of Jesus validates him as an authority to be able to say such things about Scripture. But then somebody might say, well, okay, okay, I'll give you that. Jesus is a powerful guy. Resurrection, yep, powerful thing. But the Bible's been changed since then, hasn't it? How do we know that what's in our Bible today is what was actually written or is actually what Jesus said? Well, point number three here, the manuscript evidence confirms that we have reliable copies of God's Word. Now, this point gets a little academic, but it's important to know that the copies of Scripture we have today have very good evidence of being historically reliable. And this is the way I like to think about it. God's people valued God's word so much that they carefully copied it and spread it across the world. So what we can do today is we can historically trace back and see, we, we can compare a copy that was made here and sent in this direction with a copy that was made here and sent and, and copied in that direction. We can compare those chains, and yes, there were some mistakes that were made as people copied it, but we have enough manuscript evidence around that we, we have enough to compare and say, yes, we have God's word. Or there, there's another interesting one with the Dead Sea Scrolls. You guys know about this one? You've heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls probably? They were copies of God's Word that were buried in a cave and, and forgotten about and, and supposedly lost until recently when somebody found them again. So we have these ancient copies of God's Word that were just left alone, untouched. And all the while, God's Word was being copied and spread throughout the world and now we've found these copies of God's word in a cave and we can compare those old copies 
to these copies that were copied and copied and copied, and it's God's word. We see that, it's, that God's word has not been changed. Now, of course, of course, sometimes the, copiers, the copyists made a mistake. And of course, as we go from one language to another, there's difficulty in translation. But we have enough to know that what we hold in our hands today is God's word. And if you're really interested in it, you can study it. And there's all sorts of people that do, and they come to the same conclusion, that we have God's word in our hands. Okay, so far what I've done now is I've tried to give you a logical case to believe that the Bible is word of God, starting with who Jesus is and what he said scripture was, and then moving on to the resurrection as proof that he had the authority to say such things, and then moving on to show you that we actually have good copies of the Bible today. But my fourth point, I want to I talk to your heart a little bit. You can meet with God as you read his word. Now, some Christians, I think, wrongly throw this out as evidence because Every religion says this about their holy book, right? In fact, you might have had somebody come knocking on your door from a different religion saying, read this and see if there is not a burning in your heart as you read it. Anybody have that? There's people that knock on our doors and say things like that, right? So some Christians, again, shy away from this because other religions use this. But what I would like to suggest to you is that we have both logic and heart on our side. I just walked through three points of logic to show you that we have good reason for believing that our scripture is God's word, but then I also want to remind you on the heart level to meet with God as you read it. That if it is the word of God, then it's God's power speaking to you. So meet with God as you read his word. And, and in doing so, we have both spirit and truth on our side. Remember, Jesus said he was seek, that the Father was seeking worshipers who would worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, our soul can connect with God as we meet with him in his word. And in truth, we can, we can study this stuff and know that it's true. So we, you could say we use both our mind and our heart as we meet with God. And I think that's what they did in Thessalonica, going back to verse 13. When they heard this message, they knew that it was not the word of men, but it was the word of God. So what about you? We're talking about receiving the word of God, and I would like to remind you that receiving God's word is not just a one-time event. Receiving God's word is something that we should continually be doing day after day after day. So that's the application question here. Are you continually receiving God's word? On your own, are you meeting with God? Are you listening to Him? Are you finding quiet time, quiet place to read God's Word? And then another way to look at it is, are you opening up God's Word with other people, with other believers? We're, we're told in Scripture to teach and admonish one another. Are you opening up God's Word with each other and letting other people teach you as you hear from God's Word? And then obviously that's why we do things like sermons here at church as well, so that we can... Uh, Study God's word together and let him speak to us. Okay. Let's try to clear things up a little bit here. Where are we at in this convoluted sort of outline that I have for you today? We've talked about two examples of sharing the gospel. There was holy living and gentle but firm instruction. And then we've talked about uh, one of the two evidences so far of receiving the gospel. It was receiving God's word. The second evidence of receiving the gospel is keeping faith during suffering. Keeping faith during suffering. And some of you are saying like, oh no, I don't want to talk about suffering. <laughs> and some of you are like, I'm suffering anyway, might as well talk about it. <laughs> Verses 14 through 16. 
For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. See, there we are in our outline. So as you read the book of Acts, you see that persecution happened. As early as Acts 4, we see that the churches in, in Judea were persecuted for following Jesus Christ. And as you continue to read on in Acts 17, you see that that same kind of persecution came to Thessalonica as the gospel came there as well. And it uh, just seemed to be a fact in the book of Acts that when the gospel came, there was often persecution with it. Now, we don't oftentimes see that kind of persecution in America, but remember, it is alive and well in our world today. Many of our brothers and sisters across the world are being persecuted even now for their faith, and we should be praying for them. But one of the important questions of our faith is this. Would your faith remain strong in the face of suffering? In Thessalonica, it did. They became imitators of other churches who were suffering, yet held firm to their faith. You see, there are people in this world that don't want the gospel message to go forth. In fact, it even says here that there are people who try to stop the life-saving message of the gospel from going forth. And, and that's true even in our world today. But for the Thessalonians, this was a test of their faith. Remember last week we looked at verse 4 where we see that God is the one who tests our heart and approves us if we are found to be faithful? Well, here, suffering is a kind of test. And Paul reminds us there are two different ways to go in this test. There, are, there would be those who would oppose God and his gospel, and there would be those who remain firm, who remain true to their faith, even in the midst of suffering. For those that reject the gospel, there is wrath. And Paul doesn't mince any words here in verse 16, saying, the wrath of God has come upon them at the last. That phrase could also mean that the wrath of God is hanging over their heads. We know that the full wrath of God has not yet come. We read in the book of Revelation that it will come on God's enemies. But for those who set themselves apart as God's enemies right now, you could say that the wrath of God hangs over their heads as they oppose God and his plans. And it's interesting to think that we were all actually in that camp at once. You read Ephesians 2 and it says we were all dead in trespasses and sins. You see that we were by nature objects of God's wrath. So all of us at one time were under that, that forecast of God's wrath coming over us, but God did something for us because he loves us. He sent Jesus to this world to die for our sins. That's what we celebrated at communion. That's the message that we don't want to forget that we are saved by the gospel, we are saved by Jesus Christ, as we place our faith in him, receiving him as Savior and Lord, we are rescued from wrath. And it is a wonderful message. It is one that we should bring to this world so that we can say, like it says in Ephesians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, that Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. So there's two options in regard to the gospel. Either we receive it, or we reject it. And if we receive the gospel, we should keep walking with Jesus by faith, even if suffering comes. But for those who reject the gospel, please know there is, there is wrath, there's punishment. Okay, so 
If we're following the flow of 1 Thessalonians 2, we're talking about the gospel going forth, we're talking about people receiving it, we're talking about people who kept their faith even in the midst of suffering. And I want to ask you an application question here. How sincere is your faith? Now, like I said, in America, we don't often face this kind of persecution, but we do go through difficult times. And I think in one sense, we can look at our difficult times as a test of faith. So how does your faith do when difficult times come? I pray that we will be people who endure. In fact, I spent a bunch of extra time this week praying that specific thing, that we would be people who endure in difficult times. Some people in this congregation have gone through really difficult times lately, and I want us to be people who cling to Jesus in those times. I know it's possible for people in those times to look at God and say, God, how could you fill in the blank? And you know what? It's okay to ask questions, but let's not be those who accuse God of doing anything wrong because we know that he is with us, that he loves to strengthen us for whatever comes our way. So please know that the best path for you is the one in which you stay close to Jesus in whatever comes your way. So are you suffering right now? Is there any difficulty in your life right now? Please remain strong in your faith, trusting that God will get you through. And maybe for some of you, your test of faith is about how much you will embrace the gospel around others who don't embrace it. So I want to talk about that kind of, I I don't know if we can call that suffering, but we can call it pure pressure. And I want to talk to the school-aged people here for a moment. I want to talk to you about what it means to live out your faith around people who don't live out their faith. I remember being there. I remember the peer pressure of not wanting to be one of those religious weirdos. Do you guys ever feel that? Do you ever feel like, okay, I love Jesus and I'm walking with him, but I know that those other people don't really walk with Jesus as much as I do and I don't want them to look down on me, so maybe when I'm around them, I'm just going to tone it down a little. Do you guys ever feel that peer pressure? I felt it even going to a Christian high school. I felt it. But think about it this way. Either we're walking with Jesus or we're not. And and praise the Lord, if if it's your heart's desire to say, I want to walk with Jesus, then let's be people who walk with Jesus even around people who might look down on us for walking with Jesus. Let's even set an example for them like we talked about in the first part of my message today. There are some people who maybe they just need to see what it looks like for somebody to embrace Jesus. Maybe they've never seen that. Maybe all they've ever seen is hypocrites or people who don't know what they're talking about. Let's be people who set a good example for them of holy, righteous, and blameless living. Or maybe they're just going to be out to get you. Maybe they're just going to be people who will always look down on you for walking with Jesus. Should that change what we do? No. We want to be those whose hearts are fully committed to God. Walking with Him at every turn. And yes, again, maybe it means that some people will look at you differently, but that's okay, right? Because God's people throughout the ages have always faced some of that. So let's keep on the path of faith regardless of what people around us will think. And then here's my conclusion today. The gospel is a powerful message. 
That probably doesn't come as a surprise to you at this point in my message. But um, I just want to remind you that the gospel is a powerful message. I just kind of quickly want to walk through my outline again here. The first part was about setting an example of holy living. The gospel can do powerful things in us, and, and we should shine as light as we live according to the gospel. And then we share the gospel with our words, not just our actions, but our words also, using that gentle but firm instruction, trusting that God will teach us to know when to do what kind of speech around what kind of people. And then as we receive the gospel and as we think about continuing to receive the gospel for the rest of our lives, we embrace God's word. We thank God that he has given it to us. We keep meeting with him in his word. And then, finally, if difficult times come, we keep our faith. There's no life as we walk away from God. It might feel like that in our difficult times, but please know the best path for us is one in which we cling to Jesus Christ, even in the midst of suffering. And take heart. God will strengthen you for all of this. God has given his children the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to keep walking with Jesus. And that's what I want for all of us. And that's what I want for the rest of the world, too, as we proclaim the gospel message as God leads us. Would you pray with me? Thank you, God, again, that you brought the gospel to us. We are so thankful for this life saving message. Help us to be people who embrace it, who live it out, who keep meeting with you in your word, and who keep walking with you even if suffering comes. And God, as we walk with you, would you help us to share this wonderful message with others. We pray even this week, God, that you would open doors and that we would see those open doors and make the most of every opportunity. We give ourselves to you, God, for that purpose, that they might know you, that you might receive glory. God, please strengthen us for whatever you have for us. Help us to keep the faith, to keep walking with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.